Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Chickity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks yes! Podcast. I am Chickity Chuck. I'm Godless, as are we all. And this is our weekly discussion of everything metal. That's what we do every week, because uh, that's we're licensed to do it. We're, we're sanctioned by the Metal Sucks people, and, uh, and, and we like metal. We're, we're just a couple of dudes that like metal. And Apparently, my FCC license will be mailed to me shortly. Oh, awesome. That's uh, the, You don't need that for the interweb. You know that, right? Well, yeah, but we're also on HD now. Oh, yeah. HD3, too, uh, down here in uh, Austin, Texas, where Cover I am broadcasting mind. from. But uh, but Godless, of course, is in, uh, is in Mexico for the summer, you know, hunting down... Big-breasted Latinas. It's a concert t-shirt update from here in Mexico. I saw the Iron Maiden t-shirt uh, requisite, of course. Oh, you got Finally, to. been waiting for that one. And then uh, uh, earlier today, saw Cannibal Corpse, a Tomb of the Mutilated era Cannibal Corpse t-shirt. Wow, that's a, that's yeah. a good one. But the real impressive one was last night, Burzum. Really? A Burzum shirt yeah, in Mexico? a Burzum shirt. I don't think I've ever even seen a Burzum shirt before in general. Oh, I see them all the time. you you got to go to more shows. That's like that, that's what all the all the kids are wearing these yeah, days. <laughs> they have no idea what it means. They have no idea who Burzum is, but they wear the shirts all the time because they, you know, it's a one-color print, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's totally black metal. It's missing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is, man. We uh, made it by rubbing our shirt against a Polaroid camera. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, man, so let's see. Last week we talked about we talked about memoirs. I got a retraction because, of course, uh, I did not know there was a Lemmy memoir that was out there, dude. I don't think a retraction is really appropriate because I think we did qualify it by saying that no, like, real Motorhead fan reads that. Well, so, I, I, yeah, that that may be true. So apparently, you're a real Motorhead fan. Not only do you not read, you don't even know the thing exists. I didn't even know it was there. That's how much I drank so much I forgot that it existed. Yeah, yeah there's a there, he actually has an autobiography that's out there. But from what we were talking about uh, and doing a little more research, is that it's not what we were kind of wanting. We want more of those old those old road stories and uh, anecdotal type things instead of. Uh, you know, philosophy. Like I suggested, he was there, but he doesn't remember. <laughs> what? Uh, it's, a, it's the Ronald Reagan defense, dude. You know, it's it's totally the Ronald Reagan. You know, I don't know what the, you no, know, nothing happened. I do not we recall. Got to get Corey Mitchell on that case, man. I mean, he's got to pull out what the, the real stories. I, if, he, if he can do it, I want to see how the one with uh, Phil Anselmo turns out. We didn't really touch on that because Corey's working on that one with Phil Anselmo, and I think that's that could be interesting, too. Yeah, yeah. He better, you know, that's the thing. He better have gotten some good stuff out of Phil or, like, it's like, dude, come on. Dude. You know, he's, you know that's going to be. There's got to be some good stuff in there. It's got to be. There's got to be some meat and potatoes to it. It has to be. Phil Anselmo has given somebody a 
blowjob. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I just don't want to know who. I really don't want to know. I don't even. That's something I don't even want to think about. What could possibly have happened there? That's a, it was just one crazy night in New Orleans, man. You never know. It could be damn near anything. Yeah, all right. it, it was before Cowboys from Hell. <laughs> and nothing happened in Pantera before Cowboys from Hell. <laughs> Dude, whatever. Metal magic, bro. It's totally, yeah, where, totally. It's totally where it's at right there, man. Uh, the shot bracket continued this week. Oh, man, did you? were you looking at the first rounds of the shot bracket? <laughs> yeah, what, what was so great about the results is it's like almost plainly obvious that nobody's actually voting for anybody. Everybody's just voting against, against the somebody. other band. Yeah, yeah. That, but I think that's supposed to, I think when I was lo- looking at it, it started to come be- become more obvious to me. Like, okay, so we talk smack about this brand, this band all the time. And do we need to? It, it becomes more obvious that the that these bands are going to come out ahead. I think the next few rounds are going to be where it gets a little dicey. Yeah, you got Metallica versus Killswitch Engage, and you know, which is basically you got the difference between you know the legacy band and uh, the you know a, a new newer ish band, and and you know the big question will be how many people who are Metallica fans still know that the internet exists. So that's the big question. I, I think they do, man. What do you mean? You can talk about them and there's some controversy there, but they didn't have a whole decade of really crappy records. So they're just doing their thing, you know? So and we don't have yeah. to talk about Limp Biscuit anymore, do we? Since they lost a, <laughs> they lost a dope. So that that's totally fine. I, I think that's a nail biter. Some of those were some of those were a little rough. I don't know. It's gonna it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out there, man. You know, see Slipknot come say, in and some of those other ones. It w- it was pretty obvious where that was gonna go. There is nobody that Dope can be paired up against that to, that they'll survive the next round. If you're if you're a band that survived the first round, you just hope you're lined up against Dope this next round. You know. But see, I like those guys, man. I mean, musically, maybe I'm I'm hit or miss on it, but but they were they're a lot of fun. Those, those dudes are Edsel's like a really fun guy to hang out with. Did were you surprised? I, I personally, I was right. I was kind of surprised, but I was curious if you were that uh, Amir did not lose worse than they did. I mean, Alexandra asking Alexandra only got like sixteen percent of the vote versus Abigail Williams, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you got Amir. They actually got fifty percent more vote. They got twenty four percent up against six feet under, and I was kind of surprised. I thought that might be a little bit closer. It might be, but I mean, is is legit beef with Chris Barnes and six feet under? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff against that dude. After after trying to punch or punch and run on uh, on Travis Ryan last year, and some of that stuff. So I mean. I could sort of see that, even though you know Frankie Palmieri is exactly who he is. So, <laughs> you know, I'm still uh, still working on that interview for the Mayhem Fest. We'll see how that goes. Uh, speaking of which, I watched Six Feet Under on Thursday night, actually, and I was supposed to talk to Chris Barnes for the podcast. Right? It, it just didn't work out. It was kind of um kind of a crazy deal. You got a story there, though, dude. What? No, I don't have a story. What are you talking about, man? There's there's no story there. I got I got like the email from you like like screw six feet under Chris Barnes sucks what the hell blah 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 and then all of a sudden a few hours later your tunes totally change. Well, it happens it because I talked to the dude you know it's right. and it happens sometimes when your people get in front of you and they're representing you and it, it seems a lot different than actually talking to you. And I've had that happen with a few bands over the years, and it it just happens. When you have a tour manager hang up on you, uh, like you are just don't even exist, that kind of sucks. 
I started to think about it. I'm like, oh, you know, I just need to chill. Maybe there's some miscommunication or something. And that's exactly what it was. It wound up just being right. the so-and-so didn't communicate with so-and-so. And then this got that and I just crossed wires kind of thing. And I did my passive aggressive stuff that I like to do. And I tweeted, I tweeted, I tweeted uh, six feet under and uh, Chris Barnes and I got a bounce back. So we're actually going to hopefully have him on the show here in the future uh, because he actually tweeted me back and was like, dude, sorry about that. You know, apologized. And we're, we're going to get it. We're going to get it squared away. So but it was Hello. it was kind of it was kind of interesting uh, that day because I was pissed at first. I was so pissed. And then I just kind of like, uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, were they good? Were they a good show? I thought they were good, man. I, I thought they were really good. Uh, Six Feet Under was a band that I've never been a fan of, like ever, because I, I was Cannibal Corpse. It was all about Cannibal for me and Chris Barnes and Cannibal Corpse. And then when he did the other thing, it just didn't, it, I didn't like the sound. And when you see him live, then you go, oh, okay, that's why this is pretty good. And it's all about the live show with uh, with Six Feet Under. and. It was good, man. And Decrepit Birth opened up for him, and uh, those guys are just hands down one of the best live bands. They're just so good. So how, wait a second. Before you move on, though, how many songs from Butcher to Birth did Six Feet Under play? <clears throat> the whole album. Did no, they? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? That would be so great. Six Feet Under, you know, just like Iron Maiden goes on tour, and, you know, they're like the Peace of Mind tour, you know, like Six Feet Under on the Butcher to Birth tour. There's like, they're doing probably, probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work out that way. But, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on some other, other pretty good guests. I think we're going to have. Um, Vince is going to talk to Misha from uh, Periphery coming up on the podcast. Uh, who I got? I'm going to talk to Dez. I've got Ramming Speed and Darkane and a few other bands that we're going to get on the podcast. So that's going to be good here in the future, maybe. And and I've got uh, the Summer Slaughter Tours coming to Austin. So we're going to get some of those bands. I think we're going to try to get Norma Jean and Dillinger Escape Plan, who is actually going to be playing the Summer Slaughter Tour. That was announced this week, too. If you didn't catch that, Ben Wyman, who broke his hand, is uh is recovering ish it sounds Believe like it when i hear it dude it sounds like he it, it, his confidence is amazing actually that that he is so confident in himself the fact that he broke a bone in his hand and had surgery put screws in the thing and is already back practicing and playing and getting ready for the tour that's amazing i'm I mean, saying it now my prediction is that he's got some other dude hanging out behind his fake cabinets on his stage <laughs> and playing his parts for him dude i don't think anybody can that's the that's the it'll thing be, it'll be millie vanillinger's escape plan <laughs> vanilla under escape plan i like that. Uh, that that that's pretty good right there no it sounds like he's he, he's able to do it and able to uh, get get the songs going again he's he said he's he was still doing rehab and stuff and trying to get back into into shape for it but um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to seeing them live again i had i missed the last go around when they were doing the warm-up tour so i'm ready to see ready to see me some dillinger in a couple weeks cool <clears throat> sorry <laughs> then coming up on this show we've got a we want to talk about you, you mentioned uh the empty cabinets that was a big to do this week man the, about uh empty cabinets on stage like somebody had posted a picture a while back about uh the black veil brides having a bunch of empty cabs on stage making a bit and making a lot of hay about it and um well seems that machine head had some too and they had a little response about it as well. So we're going to talk about that coming up on the show. That'll be good. And uh, what else we got coming up this one? We're going to play some Gore Guts music. We're going to, I want to play that new one from Revocation today. That you, know, you swear it's got banjo in it. Uh. <laughs> what? You don't like banjo? 
<laughs> you gave me hell for a lot for that talk song that I like so much, man. Oh, what? man. Talk in general. Oh, oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I, th- I think any banjo is an underrated metal instrument. I think we need more banjo in metal. I think we really do. <laughs> We got, Mastodon used it. I mean, Mastodon went ahead and, and put it in one of their songs as well. I think I think it's something that's coming around finally. Oh, let's hope not. Let's hope it, <laughs> yeah, just keeps on going and passes us by around. Actually, well, it's not going to be accordion. You know, we could we could get some accordion in there. That'd be even better. Uh, you know, there's just some instruments that haven't been used for a reason. You know, Man, if you, is accordion one of them? No. Yeah. Harmonica. Let's get some harmonica in there. We Sabbath used harmonica. You know, we could bring that. We could bring that back. I think that'd be gold. Uh, even when Sabbath did it, did I mean? Yeah, I guess it's okay. I mean, it's a great song, but uh, nah, I, <laughs> somebody else has got to, you know, try to redo it without the harmonica. No, no, no. The har- thats what makes it. It makes it gold, man. Uh, you know, sometimes people come across and they'll do like a Black Sabbath cover, and they do it a lot better than Black Sabbath ever did. And that makes it really, really cool. And that might be one of those songs. I'd be interested if anybody's done a cover of it without I, the harmonica. I think somebody posted a list this week. One of the one, uh, Loudwire, somebody posted a list this week of the best Sabbath covers that have ever been made. And I, I it, you got to think about it every once in a while. And they're one of the most covered bands in metal that are out there. There's so many Absolutely. Black Sabbath covers. I, I forget how many people have done a cover of Black Sabbath. You know, Faith No More. Pantera's done like two or three. I mean, there's, Sepultura. there's a yeah, lot of them. Well, it's because every band that listens to old Black Sabbath goes, yeah, that's great, but I think I could do it better. I mean, Whatever. it's 2000 what? You know, come on. That was like 50 years ago. I don't know. I don't think so, man. You know, that, I th- but they also, you look at, and they pick a lot of the hits, too. There's not a whole lot of um, covering. Well, no, they, one of them was Changes. Yeah, that, that, was, that was one I, that surprised me. You know, War Pigs, and the, I think the one that got me was a, just the fact that Typo Negative was, on, I think, on the top of that list. I thought that was a strange yeah. one. Because my favorite cover of uh, Sabbath is probably that Planet Caravan cover from Pantera. It's a slow song, but it's one of my favorite covers. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I mean, you mentioned Typo Negative. Now that uh, uh, the dude is dead, maybe people ought to start thinking about covering Typo Negative, too. Because that's another band that had great songs, but I'll bet you other bands could do it better. Nobody would be able to sing that voice, though. Yeah, that's true. Fuck that's, your voice. Yep. For she knows, not what she does. <laughs> that would be a little bit hard for most bands to get the baritone going, dude. It's like the it's like the 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 voice is like the harmonica of metal. You know, it's like you take <laughs> you just do it without it. You have to do you have to like triple octave that thing. You're gonna have to go up at least two octaves on it to to, to try to even get it for half the guys that are out there, man. But uh, we wanted to, we needed to break down, and uh, we promised the second part of the of uh, Axel's interview with uh, Luke LeMay from Gorguts, and uh, the first part of the interview was mainly about a lot of personal stuff, a lot of you know uh, where and what and hows and all that stuff of what he's got going on in his life because we hadn't really heard from Luke LeMay in in twelve, thirteen, yeah. fifteen years or so. What what has he been doing to you know to pay the bills? Uh, you know how the reunion of Gorguts kind of came together, all that stuff. And uh, part two is uh, going to happen right now, and it's more about the new album and exactly how the new album came about. Yeah, this is like totally electrifying. This part of the interview because <laughs> uh, it turns out that Luke Lemay uh, he loves kids art, but he hates Chinese people. Wait, wait, what? Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, you got to listen to it, man. Let, let him speak for himself. We'll find out here on the Metal Sucks podcast. Yeah. 
I was writing my music home, would send the boys uh, the music on an MP3. And uh, John and I wrote uh, most of the drums one-on-one. Uh, and, but the, the, uh, there's a song, the last song on the record, that was a song that I wrote back when I was in Negativa. But our, uh, for the, the, the LP, which we never did. So this song I put in, I put on the Gorgots uh, record, you know. The, but I rearranged it a bit. But most of the structure and the riffs are the same. And uh, what I was gonna say, and uh, but this this song we wrote the drums as a four piece, all the band together. And uh, I think Kevin's song, the drums were wrote, were written uh, uh, all together as well. So, but but Kev uh, had a very good idea of what he wanted on his song as well. So. Um, I had no idea. <laughs> um, what, what do you mean? No idea what? I had no idea that that's how you guys were. I really like a schmuck. I assumed that you wrote everything and everyone just showed up and did what they were told. No, 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 no. I mean, no. I mean, but if I don't like something, I'm going to I'm gonna tell it right away. I mean, right. at, the, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it, it has to, to please uh, – my, it has to meet my vision for the record, you know. If I don't like an aesthetic, uh, but they understood right away what I, what I wanted, you know. Uh, so uh, yeah, but I, I never I had to tell them, dude, don't play this. That sucks. Never ever. I mean, they have such a good uh, uh, judgment as um, as as composers, you know. They're uh, yeah, they're. They're such great writers. I mean, they get it they, right away. You know, it's uh, they know what's going to sound uh, good with the with the band's aesthetic. You know, if Colin write a song for "Behold," he's going to use the "Behold the Octopus" language. You can still feel his fingerprint in the Gorgots, but he's going to go with the aesthetic of uh, of the uh, of Gorgots. You know, so it uh, so it works. And at the end of the day, there there's my speech underneath. Being there, also they start with a canvas that I brought, you know. So uh, right there, you have the the band's fingerprint, you know. Right, right on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a concept record, right? Yeah. When did that come into play? Ah, uh, from day one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about. I mean, I know it's about Mandala. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, Mandala. Yeah. Uh, it's about. What? It's about. It's about Tibet. It, I mean, it started with the idea. Of mandalas, you know, which are which are you have you've seen mandalas before? How they're done? Uh, I like have seen a couple of pictures of them, but that's it. Yeah, but you can see videos on YouTube. You know, you see uh-huh. monks drawing them with their tools. You know, on the floor, and it's uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna. They, they, they're gonna be like on the floor with those little uh, f- like funnels made of, uh, of of brass or something, and they're gonna they're gonna shake a little stick on it to pour the sand very lightly, and so they can draw lines very precisely with it, and they don't really touch it. You know, it's it's a it's a one one shot deal thing. Anyway, so I was really really fascinated by this process. And uh, and even the idea started because one day my girlfriend came home and she said uh, she visited a friend and this friend's little daughter daughter uh, had colored a mandala in a coloring book you know and uh, I was just attracted by the word I didn't really knew what it was back then then I started to do some research and I said wow this is amazing you know so that would be a very rich uh, process to uh, can you hear me uh huh. Yeah, okay, no, because there's a, there's a window that popped in my computer. I thought that cut the line. Oh, okay. And um, 
And, you know, I thought it was a very interesting uh, thing to explore, you know, for the lyric side. So I started reading on the, this process, but at some, uh, yeah, at first I wanted to do a whole record telling about the whole process of, of drawing a whole mandala. But, you know, at some point it would be too much of a documentary kind of thing, you know. It's not too much emotional, right. you know, to, to sing about someone just sitting down and pouring sand on the floor, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so by reading about this, then it got me more into the Tibetan culture. And then I start reading about uh, how they found the Dalai Lama when he was a kid. And, uh, and uh, just about, you know, their country itself, ge- geography, which is very uh, fascinating. You know, the, those mountain range, which is uh, just uh, wonderful. You know, and it's very poetic and very mystic and very epic place to be. Um, just standing there <laughs> so uh, and then you know by reading on their country now I discovered about this Chinese invasion of 1950 and then I said dude there's something going on there and that's how I changed the angle completely so first song uh, Le, Le Toit du Monde talks about it brings the listener where the story is going to happen you know, it, it just talks about the splendor of the geography of this land. And then after, a second song is going to talk about how they found the, the incarnation of the Dalai Lama when the 13th Dalai Lama died. But there's a whole process with oracles and, uh, and uh, there's rituals, you know. They have to follow signs, you know, told by oracles to, to because they don't, they don't, they don't find a, a kid like this. Okay, it's going to be you. So the, it's a very, very interesting thing, you know. So there's a song talking about this. Then you got Colin songs, which talks about uh, the, the 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 causality. You know, like the the if you do something, if you do good, good's gonna happen. If if bad happens, it's it, it talks about their philosophy. And then after you got the the, the title song, Color Sands, which so the whole first concept idea that I had for a whole record became. Uh, um, it became the topic for one song only, which is Colored Sand, the title track. And then you got the orchestral piece, which is about Battle of Chemdo. Chemdo is, is a place where the, fi- the final battle happened when the Chinese, you know, that determined that they invaded Tibet. That's where Tibet lost to the right. Chinese, you know. So this orchestral piece makes the record like breathe, you know, and it, and it, it, it gets the whole band sound and distortion guitar and everything out of your ears to start stronger after this orchestral thing, you know, and that's where the, the bad side of the, of the record starts, you know, like the uh, enemies of compassion is about the Chinese invading Tibet. Then after Ember's voice is about people protesting by immolating themselves, which is horrible. Horrible? What a statement, you know? Yeah. It's not walking in the street with a panel in your hands. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. This is, w- would you wake up one morning and say, okay, today I'm going to emulate myself because I don't like, uh, I don't like the banks uh, fucking us around, you know? I mean, hello, this is uh, not, li- not to be taken lightly, you know? Right. So a- Ember's voice is about this. After Absconders is about a true story that happened in 2000-something, there were a bunch of alpinist, uh, cli- you know, mountain climbers waiting as a, at a base camp at uh, such uh, thousand meters, you know, in uh, at uh, Mount uh, Chao uh, Aoyu, which is the highest 
uh, summit uh, before Everest or something. And uh, one morning they heard gunshots. And there, were, there was a journalist from Eastern Europe which made a hole with a knife through his tent. And he had a camera with him. And he put the camera uh, lens in the hole and he, he was able to film Chinese uh, border control uh, agent uh, and they were guards and they were shooting Tibetan which were walking in the snow to exile Tibet to go to Nepal. And, and uh, one, nun, one, one girl, one uh, teenager was killed and, and so he got the murder filmed. And uh, what he did, they, they sent those images to the United Nations. And right away, it did the – everybody knew around the planet. And Chinese were, were finger-pointed, you know, for this horrible thing. And they never apologized for this. The only thing they said, it was, uh, oh, we need to protect our borders against uh, invaders, and it's very dangerous. Dude, it, those are people which haven't ate in two weeks walking with Snickers in fucking 10 feet of snow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's horrible. So and there's a book about this. It's called Murder in the High Himalayas, and uh, yeah, and it tells the whole story about this. And uh, so the so Kevin's song Absconders mm-hmm. is about this story, and at the the, the last song is about uh, uh, the tragic fate of this nation, which is getting uh, wiped out of the planet. You know, just because of, of occupation, and they are prisoner in their own native land. You know, right? No free, no freedom of speech. You know, if they have a picture of the Dalai Lama on them and being caught with this, they can go to jail for ten years because of that and getting tortured and everything. So that's what it's about. So uh, you see, so the first four songs are about the beauties of this culture, and the four last songs after the orchestral, which divide the records in two, is about the the tragic fate of, of those people and the whole planet just being. Um, uh, witness about this, and nothing really happens about f- behind beside the uh, little fundraising here and little protest there, but nothing really changed there. You know, over fifty people immolated themselves uh, to pro- to 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 protest for this, but nothing really happens. You know, so so that's what the record basically is all about. So, did you anywhere in that process uh, learn about any? Sorry, I'm having a hard time articulating myself. Let's say that I, as a Gorguts fan, listen to this album and now want to get involved with that cause somehow. Do you have any outlets that you've become familiar with in terms of action? No, because also I got I got this question. question I'm sorry, me too. I have a trouble articulating <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, no, uh, and also I want to make that clear. This is not a political record, and I don't want to be walking in the street with the fist in the air. Uh, you know, of course I talk about those injustice, but there's not even one place in the lyrics. I'm going to name Chinese people are bad or whatever. People can deduct those things at second degree, you know. Right. And I don't want to be political and say, oh, here with my record, I'm going to try to change the world. It's not that, you know. Me, it's more like a movie. I made this record more with a movie, with a subject that I found poetic with their culture. And after, you can't talk about those people with, without, without uh, mentioning all this What's happening though with those people, which makes more nonsense because you can't have more pacific people than them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those are like they just do their own thing and they don't bother. They they, they didn't. They don't bother anybody. Right. You know. 
Right. It's so, so me, that's more this nonsense that I wanted to point, but all, but I want to make clear that I didn't make this record to be uh, political, and uh, I'm not gonna start uh, doing action on my website to raise funds for Tibet. You know, that's not the thing. You know, uh, right. uh, me, I want to keep it. You know, more. I wanted to keep it to from like a movie maker si- uh, um, point of view. You know, I'm telling a story. It's a uh-huh. story that I'm telling, and if it, and if it, it. it I, and if it opens some doors in your head and say, oh, this is nonsense, then you do what you do, you know. And I didn't do that to educate uh, teenagers neither, you know. But, I mean, if it makes uh, – if it may, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, if it brings someone to go out in the street and shout about it, fine, you know. But that's not the mission that I, right. that I had uh, making this record. It's just because it was a subject that, that took my attention. And uh, and at some point, I found that it was very poetic for the culture, and I thought it was very, um, very frustrating from from for what happens to those people. That's what I'm telling in the songs, you know. But uh, but like I said, you know, I don't do any. I don't. I, I, like I said, when you read all the lyrics, you never see. I, ne- I never say Chinese are assholes, you know, or something like that in my lyrics. I'm never, I'm never going to do something like this, you know. People can deduct, people can add the one plus one, you know. <laughs> it's, it's very obvious. Fair you enough. Know, so, yeah. um, has that little girl who did that original coloring book mandala heard the album? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be such a good introduction to metal for her. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But 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 that's that's fantastic how how ideas can 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 germ in your brain though by a very simple by a very simple thing, you know, being said in a conversation. You you know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. You know, just by this coloring book page, that's why you have uh you know, a mandala on my record today. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. This... I guarantee you no Gore Guts fans thought this was inspired by a coloring book. Yeah, yeah. But that's how the idea germ in my head, you know. Totally but, makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. And also on the cover, that's why you see the praying hands, uh-huh. which is about peace. And you see the prisoner hands coming out from the same person, you know. So you have the two sides of the coin, you know, like the, you know, the, 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 the beautiful side and the right. peaceful side and wisdom, and you have the the then after the prisoner side and the 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 hostility which is expressed and that's what I like also just because with hands, you know a hand you see a fist that means something you see uh, you see horns up that's mean that means something and you see uh, tied hands together you understand right away the the prisoner thing so I thought hands were very powerful and. Uh, on complex uh, things to use to express a message, you know. So I th- I thought it was very poetic too. Um, I I agree. I just I wrote about the album cover a couple of weeks. Oh, getting another oh, call. It, it, it's my phone. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna cl- I'm gonna close that. Well, I should let you go anyway. I didn't realize we've been talking for almost forty minutes. My lord. Have we went through the whole uh, questions you had? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, other than when are you coming back to play New York again, <laughs> I think we have outcovered it. Hopefully it's going to be in, uh, in December. Uh, I would love to do like, uh, official, uh, how, um, how do you, I don't, I mean official, I don't like the word official, but, uh, we do those four shows in, uh, in September, uh-huh. but, uh, since it's, 
so new for the record. That's why we we wanted to wait to play New York City right away. We want the album. Uh, we want the fans to know the album better, you know, we, uh, uh, before we play, uh, uh, we play New York City, you know. Right. So December would be good. Maybe early December, I would really love to do like a Montreal uh, release show, New York City release show, Chicago, you know, those big, uh, big uh, uh, t- uh, cities, you know. Uh, but just a bit after to le- to let people get to listen to the record a bit, you know, so. Um, that makes sense. I mean, I'm so stoked to hear this new stuff live, and you guys, I've seen you a few times, and you're always great. <laughs> Thank and, you. And uh, thanks so much for making an awesome record. It's a nice change of pace from all the crap people usually send me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There's so much good heart and so much work in this record, you know. I, I think it, it's not going to leave people... Um, uh, I mean, I mean, of course you can't please everybody, but it's not. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, emotion and sensibility and uh, and uh, yeah, in in those compositions, you know. So uh, I'm really eager to share it with the fans.
One of my favorite records from Machine Head from the Blackening. It's Beautiful Morning on the Metal Sucks podcast. Welcome back. Uh, got uh, Luke LeMay. Uh, that was a beautiful, beautiful little chat with uh, Axel and Luke LeMay. Next week on the podcast, I think we are going to do Periphery. Uh, Vince is going to talk to Misha from Periphery, so be on the lookout for that. Next week, you can make sure you subscribe on iTunes and all that good stuff. But we played some Machine Head for you this week because the big controversy that uh, started to get stirred up this week was with Machine Head. They came out with a complete huge statement about a picture from one of their shows with empty cabinets. Oh, the empty cabinet debate and sparked a huge back and forth with a lot of different people and Machine Head were pissed about it. It seemed seemed like they were really angry about it. it, You know, what's funny, though, is it doesn't seem like there's much like from the fans. Everybody's sort of like, yeah, I mean, like all the forums and stuff. I mean, nobody's like upset about it it doesn't seem nobody's like oh i feel like somebody's been put uh, put some uh put one on me i think part of it is that everybody uh who posts on the on the forums is kind of like uh uh yeah you were stupid if you thought that all those things were plugged in and then therefore if you do say hey look i'm pissed because i thought everything was plugged in that's at the same time you're admitting you're stupid and nobody wants to do that well and that's the that's the weird thing about it is i don't know maybe it's because i'm i've been part of the machine you know i've I've lugged in a lot of different equipment over the years. I've plugged in a lot of different amps, and I've I've worked the stage plenty of times that I know that half of that stuff, if not two-thirds of that stuff, is all for show. It's all part of the show that's in front of you. It's not actually wired up. So it might be something where I am... I'm past that. I already knew that, and that it doesn't even... I don't even think about it anymore. So when I see a wall of marshals up there, I don't even think they're they're plugged in. I find I found it kind of interesting that that what they've done over the years is they progressed in their uh, in the way that they've done it because it used to just be fake fronts and nothing in it and now they've got it to the point where they've got fake LEDs in it so that they light up they look like they're lit and they look like they're working so you'll see they've they've advanced in the way that they've done that structure for for different bands but I never once thought that all of those amps are working because. Um, there's one microphone up there. It's that one microphone is plugged into that is in front of that one cabinet. So what? I, I, <laughs> and, and I don't know if people just thought they had the wool pulled over their eyes or what, man. And I, I don't get where the outrage with some of these people are. Honestly, where this all stemmed from was some radio station in El Paso that had kind of trolled them a little bit with it. And we're just looking for clickbait, you know, just looking for people to get to get some kind of response out of it. And I think that's all all it amounted to in the beginning. See, I didn't get that impression at all. I got the impression that they basically were saying, hey, look, everybody's getting on Black Veil Bride's case about having empty cabinets. But a lot of other bands do it, too, not including the ones that you respect. And it was like they kind of changed the conversation. Instead of it being about, hey, hey, look how much Black Veil Brides suck, all of a sudden the conversations you know, turned a little bit to, yeah, well, we knew that. We knew that everybody does it. You know? We want the conversation to remain on Black Veil Brides suck. Yeah, I, that, we do. That's where I'd like that to remain. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't need to be talking about empty cabinets. We need to be talking about how, uh, how much this other band sucks. No, and I mean, there's... You can't actually think that that a gigantic wall because I posted a picture of uh, I think Kerry King with a stack of uh, like eight of them behind him, <laughs> you know, and, and it was like ten wide and eight tall. Like you can't actually think that that's a wall of sound coming at you. There's no way you could believe that, you know. So yeah, it, I think most people do though. Really? 
I think that, well, I wouldn't say most. I think that a lot, a fair number of people do. Mm, so you think they still think it's all magic there's like some sort they have no idea how anything works you know it's like magnets how do they work you know what exactly we don't know how this audio works you just go to a show and it's really effing loud so boom it's got to be these all these amps that's exactly what it is right yep i mean look at how many people you know think that george w bush was a pretty good president for (laughs) five years later obviously there's a hell of a lot of stupidity out there and i think that uh you know the same people who think that uh, bush did a good job are the same people think that all those amps are plugged in and i don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing that they you know what people believe or don't believe i don't think you know it kind of doesn't matter one way or the other it sort of really comes down to you know, is it of you know, is there value there? I mean, is it is that um, uh, sort of tired uh, stage setup? You know, va- does that have real value? Can you just have a stage without all the fake amps and it still looks as cool? And that's kind of what it brought me to was that. Do you need to have all this stuff to make you look awesome? Is it something necessary? Is there another way to do it? Or do you even have to have that stuff anymore to make yourself look badass on stage? You know, to make it so, I mean, it's one thing when you do something like Slayer did with the upside down crosses that were made out of the Marshall cabs and then they burst into flames or whatever, you know, like that's one thing to do with it. That's, that's kind of an interesting way to do it. And you, in logic would have it that, those were not plugged in. I mean, they they probably weren't wired. Probably not. You never know. Did you see the photograph of uh, uh, Megadeth performing somewhere? And, you know, rather than lug all the cabinets around, what they did is they had, uh, like, backdrops with pictures of the amps on on the backdrops. Really? Oh, no, I, yeah, didn't, I, I didn't see that one. No, that's uh, really uh, uh, cheating. <laughs> yeah, total cheat. Those aren't plugged in, fellas. Um, yeah, it, it's sort of like... Uh, I, you, it's a it's a show that's sort of been done, and I think that people do it because they think it looks cool. But I think at this point, most everybody, you know, it, it looks cool for those people who are stupid enough to think that they're still plugged in, and for those people who know that they're not plugged in, I think that there's better, more creative, more interesting ways that you can present your band than having a wall of empty cabinets that everybody knows is empty. So it's sort of like this really. Everybody's put themselves in this really weird spot. It's like it's like I think it's cool. It looks cool, but I know it's not plugged in, and everybody knows it's all not plugged in. So what's cool about that? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's one thing that you you got you've got props. You're gonna have any any band is gonna have some kind of prop typically when you get to a certain level because you've got to fill an entire stage. And if you got four guys, you're not gonna be able to do it. I mean, I think about when I saw. Uh, lemmy and you saw motorhead and it's got they've got both two walls of them on each side and it just sort of frames the stage in a way that you've got bam there it is right behind you and i thought it it makes it look good i mean i knew that it wasn't that it wasn't that but if you just had three dudes on stage no amplifiers whatsoever no backdrop behind you or no anything then what do you you're not getting there's not not much of a show that's going on there and i think you you pay for the money you want to have some kind of show that's happening uh, absolutely but i and i'm not suggesting that everybody needs to be gore or anything but can't you do something else with that space you know, can't you do a Romstein and throw some naked chicks and, you know, have them drenched in blood or something? I can get behind that. that, that that'd be all yeah. right. Okay. All right. Come I'm on. cool with that. Well, I didn't Mastodon did it on one tour where they had the wall of like um, LED screens or the wall of a, it was like a light thing, light box thing where they put the 
the pictures of the album covers when they played it, co- it corresponded with the set of songs that they did from each one of the albums or i think there's other ways that you can accomplish it or that you can do a stage show but then you're talking about money you're talking about getting into a whole nother production setup that you may or may not have the crew to do. I mean, you can have the same dudes that lug in your amplifiers, lug in some fake boxes and stick them on stage. You don't have to have a specialized set of anything to make this other stuff happen. If you get pyrotechnics and all this other stuff, you wind up like Avenged Sevenfold having to cancel a concert because the, the venue couldn't handle the pyrotechnics that they had in front of them. You know, so you wind up in a, in a situation where you can't do the stage show that you had planned on at different places wherever you go. If it's just fake cabs, you throw those on the stage. All right, cool. Boom. You can do that everywhere. You could do something with lights or something. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what you put there. I'm not saying that you need to like hire an additional staff or anything, but if you can lug in a bunch of empty cabinets and you've got the enough space in the back of the van to throw a few extra in there, then you know, I, I don't see why you can't build something quick and easy in PVC that's interesting, you know? It's PVC. Come on, man. Come on. I- yeah, I don't know, but I, you know, it's not my bag. But you know, put put something there that that that's interesting and you know, sort of doesn't make you look like every other band on earth. Besides somebody like Guar and a stage show on that level, that's completely different and completely outside the bounds. I mean, have you seen anybody? And I and, and exclude Iron Maiden from that as well. But it, have you seen anybody that you can think has put on a stage show that is that is creative and interesting and worthy? that doesn't need that kind of show or I don't know. You, you know, you know what I watched just earlier this week was I was watching a video of we butter the bread with butter. Yeah. And they, and they had like this blue man group thing with them. That was kind of cool. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it fits what their thing, which is all tongue in cheek and you know, the whole thing, but yeah. uh, it worked. It was kind of cool. It was three guys in those morph suits during the show and it, it you know it's different it's funny it's cool and it and it worked but when you're just uh when you're a metal band and you're just it's all about being loud you know doesn't it feel a little gimmicky after a while i mean does it, it seems like it would get a little gimmicky if you're trying to really push it or is the is the fake amp thing a gimmick as well Hell yeah, the fake amp's a gimmick. The, the, there's a difference between having your gimmick and having the same gimmick everybody else has. And I'd rather <laughs> you have your own gimmick, you know? Where does it? Where did it begin? Where did all that? Where did all that amplifier like the? Uh, the wh- thing that gets me too is the same jerk offs who are making fun of other bands for you know either dressing up in costumes or you know doing something else with their stage show are the same ones who got all the empty cabinets on stage. And it's like you know who's Who's the bigger jerk off? You know, is it the one where you're putting it off where you're convinced everybody is in on the joke or the one where only the intelligent fans are in on the joke and the stupid ones? Well, you've got them totally, you know, duped. Now, I was surprised at the kind of indignation that that machine had again had in their statement about it. They seemed a little defensive about uh, about having the empty cabinets on stage. I didn't I and I don't know why they were. It, it doesn't mean it seems very strange that that they would even bother to be defensive about it because they don't need to be. And it's, I got into it with, or I didn't get into it, but I was talking with another engineer about it. It's like in how, you know, one plugging it, going direct with everything makes it sound so much better anyway. On, on stage, it's so much easier to go to direct, direct line inputs on all of your, uh, on all of your instruments versus miking cabinets anyway, that, 
I don't even understand why they even have amplifiers on stage anymore in a big setup. So I don't, yeah. and I don't get you why they were, they were kind of pissed about it. If you're going direct and you're playing like the PNC bank, you know, uh, arena in Jersey, you know, the night before you're playing, uh, you know, such and such arena, then yeah, that makes sense to go direct. But when you're going from town to town and one night you're playing, you know, Bob's Bar and Grill, and the next night you're playing Blondies, and the next night you're playing, you know, it, it's like you don't know what kind of sound guy and what kind of sound system you're going to be faced with night to night. So you're going to have to try to retain a little bit of control. Those guys, I understand. You need two cabinets at least, probably three, because you need one that does has one sound, a second one that has another sound. You got third, so that way, if one of the other two, if, you know, inevitably busts on stage, you can quick plug into it. You know, but other than that, everybody should be going direct. But if, when you're playing, just like you know, poop venue to poop venue, you just don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I don't know. I think it's just the debate is just moot in the end. It it doesn't even mean anything because really. It's it's just a show, damn it! It's a show. It does it sound good or does it not sound good? You know, does it make for a big splash or does it not make for a big splash? I don't know. I just don't. I, you know, I, I don't I, understand. I think, that- I think some people go to a big show and they pay thirty five bucks, sixty five bucks, ninety five bucks, and they want a damn show out of it. And I think that's I think that's getting harder and harder for people to really. Uh, you want to be able to justify it. You know, when I go to an Iron Maiden show and I pay a hundred bucks for an Iron Maiden ticket, I get it. I get a show. I get one hell of a show, but at the same time I pay 15 bucks and I go see Guar. I get a show. So is it, it, it seems, it seems strange for anybody to, I don't know. I, I can kind of see both sides of it. It's like, I want, I want to have those amps. I want to have that stuff on stage. I want something, but is it necessary? No. At the same time, it's not. You see stripped down bands all the time. And they sound great or they look good and they play well. I, I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle on the whole thing. Or it doesn't really even matter to me because I, I never thought that those things were real in the first place. Yeah, of course you're in the middle. You're always in the middle of all this stuff. Oh, man. Shut up. You never, never take a side. But, you know, I think Machine Head, you know, was it two or three years ago when somebody posted a picture of uh, Immortal and they had the empty cabinets? And I think if that had popped up and then this radio station did, hey, look, Machine Head do it, too. I think Machine Head would have had their typical reaction, which would have been a really long uh, Rob Kavistani e- uh, uh, email or, or uh, Facebook posting that's somewhat tongue in cheek. It makes you cry somewhere in there. You know, it's the typical stuff for Machine Head. But I think that they were being compared to Black Veil Brides. And I think it's really difficult for anybody to be anything but defensive as soon as that happens. <laughs> well, and the, uh, and the other the thing was was i thought the point about somebody somebody talking smack or pointing something out when they're standing on the side of the stage i i thought that was kind of an interesting take on it as well it's like look we gave you access to come up here and be part of the show or see the show in a way that you nobody else would get to in a, and thousands of people would love to and you're taking it and trying to use it to your advantage and get some clickbait out of it for your website and that's kind of a dick move it is but i mean it, it nobody's innocent here i mean come on <laughs> hey man you, i'm you, just saying you, i'm just saying you, dude you know you got to respect just, your boundaries look, man 
I'm saying that Def Leppard did not complain about the dude who reported about all the naked hot chicks underneath the stage on the Hysteria tour. You know what I mean? Mm. It was like, oh, that word got out. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, cool, dude. But obviously Machine Head are going to have a different reaction when somebody, you know, on the same stage, instead of talking about the naked chicks, they've got stuffed underneath the stage. Uh, who probably aren't as attractive as Def Leppard's <laughs> fans were, uh, they, they instead talk about the empty cabinets, and that's what they're upset about. I, I don't, I, you know, if you're going to give people access, you got to cover your own ass. That's and they true. Didn't. That's true. You you got to be you got to be prepared prepare, prepared for any kind of commentary that may come out of that. You know, I mean, yeah. the lesson for Good Machine bad, Head yeah. is you need something that's going to distract anybody from a radio station in El Paso reporting on your empty cabinets, and that will be a bunch of naked chicks underneath their stage. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Make idea. it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. More more naked chicks under the stage. Done and done. <laughs> Maple, How cool would that be? You're like, you go see Machine Head in concert next time. You're like, man, where'd all the amps go? And you're like, I don't know, dude, but I bet you there's naked chicks underneath that stage. Either that or they open up the amps and boom, there's naked chicks behind yeah. the amplifiers. That would be, there you go. Like they split open and stripper poles. Done and done. I like it. I like it. That's I want to know, is Luke LeMay like building with his hands because he likes working with his hands? <laughs> the empty cabinet? Sir? Oh, stop it. Stop it. Uh, we got to wrap this thing up, man. We got to get done with this. Next week on the show, I think we're going to do the Misha periphery interview that uh, Vince did. It's very good. Talk about industry and labels and uh, crowdfunding and a lot of other stuff. So that's going to be coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. You can get it downloaded directly to your iPhone, iPad, a device of any kind if you are subscribe on iTunes or look for us every Monday to be posted on metalsucks.net. We also broadcast on the HD3 in Austin, so if you're looking for it on the air, no control radio, KGSR HD3 at 93.3. I am Chickity Chuck. I'm Godless. And we're going to end the show with a great song from Revocation. I don't care what you say, banjo is fine for metal.
Let's go!